The Hearing, a legal podcast from Thomson Reuters. Welcome to The Hearing with me, Kevin Poulter. In each episode, I chat with some of the most interesting characters in and around the legal profession. You'll hear about their lives, their passions, and their relationship with the law. In this episode, I'm joined by Yasmin Sheikh, disability advocate, diversity champion, and self-confessed attention seeker. Yasmin was a practicing solicitor whose life changed dramatically when at 29 she woke up paralyzed from the waist down. Having lost the use of her legs, Yasmin speaks candidly about how her life has changed and she gives us some examples of things you really shouldn't say to someone in a wheelchair. As well as the day-to-day challenges, we discuss how now, 10 years on, she's taken to the screen and to the stage to address the social stigma that disability continues to face. The Hearing so thank you for inviting us into your lovely home um, on uh, one of the warmest days of the year again. It seems to be every time we do these things, it's a, it's a hot day. Um, lovely to see you. You too. How are thank you keeping? You. Very well, thank you, Kevin. Yeah, that, that's good, good to know. Uh, so we've got lots to talk about, mm. but the thing that uh, jumps out when we read about you is about diversity. Mm. That's just one of the, well, it's the key thing that you, you're involved in now. It so is. tell us about how that came about. Tell us about uh, what your interest is. Okay, so my company's called Diverse Matters. Um, Plug in at the start. Absolutely. Fantastic. No shame whatsoever, straight in there. However, the, the, why I founded this company really is both personally and professionally I'm very involved with diversity. So I tick practically every box, mixed race, woman, and a wheelchair user. Um, I was a lawyer for 12 years, Mm. and um, I had a a spinal injury back in 2008, um, which was completely unexpected. I was 29 years old, and I think you know my story because we've spoken about it on panel events Uh, when it's relevant. I I do, but but for for the sake of everyone else listening, um, if you have to, just talk us through it because it's incredible. Yeah, so I I was at 29 at the time, uh, fit, healthy, went to the gym four or five times a week. Show off. Yes, I know. <laughs> uh, never smoked in my life, um, drank in moderation, you know, vegetarian, very, very healthy. Mm. So I thought, mm. um, well, I was. And basically one day I went to bed and my legs just got weaker and weaker within two hours. I was falling down. It was in the middle of the night. And in the end, I couldn't get out of bed at all. My legs just stopped working. To cut a lot, very long story mm. short, uh, the neurologist, when I eventually got to hospital, said, I think you've had a spinal stroke. Mm. No warning, no accident, no idea that this happened to anybody. Um, and he said, if you had come to me the day before, I'd say there's 0.0001% chance of this happening. Completely random, mm. no family history, no reason at all. But you realize once you fall into the world of disability, actually when you start meeting people, you go to the hospital, I had rehabilitation for three months, mm. you start meeting people through charities and you know, you're in this world, different world, you're looking at the world differently. You start listening to stories about how people acquire their disability mm. as well and it's far more common, I guess, than we think. Um, but yes, yeah, so that really sparked my interest in diversity because when I eventually did go back to work, I took a year off for rehabilitation. Mm. And it's not just the physical, it's the whole psychological um, thing as well, is how you see yourself so differently, how you have to navigate the world differently. But I was very conscious of the way people looked at me differently, the mm. way they interacted with me or didn't interact with mm. me or said clumsy things. And you know, some of it's very well-intentioned, but some of it is just because they just don't know how to be. So when I eventually went back to work, um, things were quite hard, I have to say. I didn't know 
who I was. I don't know, didn't know what my mm. what I was capable of. I didn't know if I wanted to do this anymore. I didn't. I felt like a burden in so many ways. I was going through a whole range of emotions. But the passion for diverse matters is is trying to bridge communication between people with disabilities and health conditions and line managers and partners and people in the organisation and also for people with disabilities to really tap into what their strengths are, strengths that they don't even realise that they have. You know, this amazing empathy that Mm. we have a lot of the time, yeah. So take me back to... um, I'm going all over the place. No, that's right, I'll I'll karate you back. Uh, But take me back to that time when it did happen Mm. and how how did the firm react? Because this Mm. is not something that happens, as you say. This particular thing, incredibly rare, but Mm. people going off uh, with with injuries or whatever it might be, health reasons, it happens probably more and more, unfortunately. Mm. But how did did the firm at the time react to that? Actually, it's not so much what work you're given. Sometimes in the beginning, it's the very small gestures Mm. which make such a big deal. Sending me a card and flowers, making Mm. me feel that I had a place to go back to. Friends coming into hospital, bringing meals, having a laugh, talking about normal everyday things, which you crave for normality because in hospital you're institutionalized so i i needed that i wanted it i wanted to hear about work and everyday things which i miss so much which we take for granted at the time and then you know a couple of the partners came to see me which meant an awful lot it was it could be i'm sure they were really nervous about it i was Mm. there in a hospital bed it's not a natural environment but Mm. the fact that they came and sat with me for an hour and just chatted meant a lot and when you so, went back to work, mm. um, uh, I, obviously for you, there's a whole load of change, yeah. um, but for them as well. And, and mm. it, it, being in a chair particularly, mm. there's, there's obviously accommodations, uh, physical changes that have to take yeah, place. Sure. Was that something that they were learning with you or they had any experience with already? I think because it's so visible as well, people mm. do come back after life changes, you know, happy and sad times. Yeah. Uh, women coming back after having a baby adjustments there and different working patterns and you feel differently and I did it's almost like keeping in touch days like some people come back from maternity leave so I came back to the office about three times whilst I was off just to go into the office to speak to people because what I was very nervous about is people seeing me Mm. using a wheelchair Mm. you know I was really nervous about people seeing me differently their reaction and I'm always I've always been that person that I try and make people feel comfortable, I include them. Now it was others Hmm. trying to do the same for me, but I was taking on their stuff as well, thinking how can we make this comfortable for everyone? And it's quite stressful to have that on you as well when you're trying to deal with your own emotions. So that was helpful to have that keep in touch days as well. And you were doing personal injury work. So ironic. Uh, But but did that help you? Because you've probably, and obviously not identical Mm. situations, but people going through similar change, like like life changes, Mm. um, being involved back to work, Mm. did that help or was that... So it's in some ways mm. another uh, sort of a cruel uh, remembrance that um, people don't always get treated very well. Yeah, and I I didn't deal with catastrophic injuries in that it wasn't people who had had spinal injuries okay. through an accident or anything. I think maybe that would have been too close to home, I don't mm. know. But then I would have a real understanding, not just reading a report, but actually understanding what it's like to have a spinal injury. I know everybody deals with it differently, of different mm. levels of injury. Not saying I know exactly, but I have 
probably yeah. more empathy and understanding than someone who doesn't have a spinal injury. It's not just the not walking. There's a whole raft of emotions that go behind that. So I don't know if maybe it would have made me an even better lawyer had I been in that field because hmm. I get the intellectual side yeah. and the emotional side as well. Yeah, yeah. Um, that's not to say that all uh, family lawyers will be better if they've been through a divorce. Yeah, um, but, yeah. But there's, there's, there's that, as I say, there's that added empathy and understanding. Yeah. And uh, so, so you went back to work hmm. and uh, what happened? So I had mixed experiences. I, I've shared this story I won't name the people but I had a, a good boss and a bad boss essentially mm. a bad boss who again it wasn't he didn't even realise what he was doing to make me feel um, worthless really and really not feeling I was making a contribution it was very early days mm. and he said once to me you know if I employed everyone with your disability the business would collapse I've got the same problem with part-time women workers. I've employed of them, all of them, the business will collapse. And I think I've told you this, mm. you know, I thought, gosh, if I employed all of people like him, the business would definitely collapse. <laughs> True. But that's, you know, that isn't a realistic situation. You don't employ people at all the same anyway. Mm. That's the point of diversity. It's about what people can bring to the table, what strengths they can give. Um, and he just didn't really understand that. But to even say that to mm. me is insensitive. Uh, yeah, you, you're absolutely right. And to say that, well, to say that to anyone, yeah. regardless of whatever their issues might be, mm. whether it's because they're a woman, can you imagine saying that now because somebody's pregnant? Mm. You, you just know you, it would be no. outrage. It would be front page news, yeah. uh, certainly on the lawyer. Um, but, but just appalling. But it's not that long ago. We're yeah. talking just, uh, ten oh, just 10 years ago. Yeah. Do you think things have improved? Think things have changed in that 10-year period? I think people know that you're not supposed to say these things. Um, but I thank him in some ways because he's probably the driving force mm. behind me setting up this business and realising, I know not everybody's like that, but realising mm. actually people say things without understanding the impact of that mm. and they behave in certain ways. Some people know what they're doing is wrong. Some people don't understand that that may offend but I'm trying to bridge the gap for trying to make people sort of see things differently hmm. and, and you've you've of course I, I say you've seen it from both sides yeah but um before you uh, you like you said you you ticked a few boxes already mm. um have have as have people still continued to react differently to you do you think people now see you less as about being a woman for example or mixed mm -hmm. race and and obsess over the disability? I think my everyday experiences, I don't feel hindered as a woman, mm. not to say that's not everyone's experience, that's just mine. Mm. I don't feel hindered as someone who's of mixed race, it's never, you know, I've had a very privileged life, I, I, I'm aware of that. Mm. I, I don't feel hindered as someone with a disability either, although I do have microaggressions, I do have people saying things to me every single day without fail. And they can range from the fairly innocuous, yeah. are you okay? And I'll be literally just sitting there on my phone and I think, oh, you've obviously assumed I need help with something. And I'm not saying that's a bad thing necessarily. It's just, it's an unintentional response mm. to somebody with a visible disability. She's on her own. She must need a hand. But actually, I go about on my own a lot. Yeah. And it can range from people saying silly things, you know. I mean, even only the other day, I was just by waiting by the road to cross the road and this guy was looking at me and you get a sense of you think come on just yeah. bring it on say something <laughs> I knew it was going to say 
and he had a picture of a CD and it was a picture of a goat with a rope around its neck and he went, you should get one of these to pull you along. Complete random straight. And I just thought, I just went, do you know something that's absolutely stupid? It's a pointless comment. It's not even funny. And I just mm. carried on. But I just thought, why do you feel the need to say that? Mm. I mean, it's quite funny in, a, in that the laughs on him, but sometimes people feel the need to fill the silence because they're uncomfortable. That's well, what well, I've realised. This is, and you mentioned earlier that actually part of it is sometimes you feel like you're actually ignored uh, because mm. of because of a disability. This is taking it to the other extreme. Yes. Um, and there has to be a happy medium. But is part of your role now, or you feel that your role is, uh, both professionally and mm. personally, mm. Uh, to educate people around this? Is there, is there some sort of... It is, but sometimes... Social training. Oh, well, yeah. Because yeah. the trouble is, and I know this with a lot of people with visible disabilities, is... I always have to manage my behaviour because I have to think, okay, if it's an older person of a certain generation, maybe that they didn't mm. mean any harm or whatever. And sometimes you think, okay, I can teach someone here, but sometimes I can't be bothered. I just want to be anonymous and go yep. about my daily business and I don't I can't be bothered to educate. Mm. Or sometimes I'm in a bad mood. I'm only human <laughs> yeah. and I haven't always got it right, but you yeah. know what? So what? Yeah. I'm allowed to do that, I think. <laughs> well, that, that picks up where I want to go with it for, for a short while, which is you're doing a lot of work with the law firms uh, yeah. and with lawyers. And uh, what do, what do you, what's your sense now about the visibility of disability um, mm. in, in law firms? Is it something which is improving? Is it something mm. which is still got a long way to go? Because my sense is that we're obviously looking around the in inverted commas, the protected characteristics. Mm. Some things are more visible than others. Yes. Um, and we're seeing more and more women, we're seeing mm. more and more women sort of at senior levels. Mm. There's a greater diversity in terms of colour. Um, but yeah. is, I think disability is one of those things which we still don't see, even yes. though it might be there. Yes, I think there's a lot of truth to that. I think there's lots of things going on. So workplaces, law firms included, are merely microcosms of what goes on in society, how we talk about disability, how we think about disability. Mm. Disability isn't just sticks and wheelchairs, it's all sorts of conditions that we can't see. Cancer, mm. as you know, under mm. the legislation, is a disability. Yep. How many people do we know have had cancer? Diabetes, dyslexia, dyspraxia, autism. I mean, it's the largest minority group worldwide, but we still think of it as something visible, something almost, yep. in commas, broken. Yep. Like me, a wheelchair user, my legs don't work. Yep. Mental health is a huge subject now uh, amongst law firms, and they realise that people's well-being can be disabling if you do not address it and address the issues underlying causing a lot of pressure and stress. I feel like you're looking at my list over my shoulder here, no, but, uh, the, the, but this is, there seems to be more of a move now and an awareness mm. around particularly mental health issues and about well-being uh, within law firms. But is that, is it, is it doing the job yet? Uh, is, is part of the job just addressing the issue? And how are you fitting into that as well? Because it's not just about those unseen disabilities, mm. it's also about the physical disabilities that yeah. have been a long time, for a long time, a bar to joining the legal profession, mm. I or mean, perceived bar, I should say. Sometimes the bars and the barriers are you physically cannot get in the building. Mm. I know someone who's a wheelchair user, a very bright girl, tra uh, completed a training contract. The firm that she was with moved offices. Mm. It wasn't wheelchair accessible. It's incredible. But she's one person. So from their point of view, you know, do they accommodate to us? But in this day and age, you think, wow, yes. you've, lost a ta <laughs> you've lost talent there. Uh, yeah. You know, so... 
she physically couldn't even get in the building. Now, the barriers, other barriers are there is an unconscious bias or mm. actually I think people, law firms are not very good. They're very traditional in that there's chargeable hours mm. and your worth is determined really by how many hours you put in. Mm. And what we need to do is think outside the box sometimes and think, okay, how can we give some sort of flexibility so that you can work from home a bit more now? Yeah. People with dealing with different disabilities probably have times where actually they need to go to appointments or perhaps just be at home to rest their leg or mm. you know deal with fatigue and, and work at time when it's more productive. I know it's we always think how does that person fit into the organization it's never the organization how can they fit mm. to get the best out of this person yeah I, I think there's I think there's a lot the of tr- I think there's around. a lot of truth in that mm. and and I think there is a movement towards people being able to work remotely and mm. to work from home and, and, and in a more agile way mm. but I don't think that's necessarily being driven by disability I think that's been no. driven by life life and and uh, so the Amazon delivery mm. um, and, yeah. and and getting the washing machine fitted or whatever it yeah. might be because then that suits the partners yeah. or the exactly. senior people who are involved and and actually well there's no reason why we can't roll this out to mm. a, a, a wider audience mm. and which suits people who yeah. who do have those uh, those concerns or issues yeah. and you mentioned about sort of talking through it with people and helping people who are trying to get into the profession um you you're the vice chair of the lawyers with disabilities division yeah and you sit on the law society council and representing in some ways the not a broad range of things but particularly around disability LDD, issues yeah. and how what more can be done i suppose how does the ldd support people how does it bring about change mm. and what more can be done by the law society and by firms yeah. generally so ldd lots of do lots of things we offer mentoring for people with disabilities who are wanting to get into the profession or currently in the profession or had a career break so it's at all stages of your career we put on events which are for line managers for hr professionals diversity and inclusion people mm. so they understand the language they understand the do's and don'ts and just have a, a broader awareness about disability. Also, a lot of my clients have contacted me saying, we want to attract people with disabilities, mm. but we're not getting them. How do we do that? So, you know, simple thing, is your website actually accessible? Mm. When you ask for a reasonable adjustment, do they have to email someone so it, they don't even know where this information is going? Or do yeah. you have a direct telephone number and a person they can contact? You're exchanging some very sensitive personal information sometimes about the adjustment that you need for the workplace or an assessment mm. or an interview. I wouldn't want to send all this in. It's not just about getting a ramp sometimes. It's, it's there's other yeah. issues. So And of course, these are legal obligations. Um, yes. But law firms don't seem to be very good at taking them on board. Yeah, and and, and And I'm sure, it's, I'm sure it's not the case that disabled people aren't applying for these jobs. Mm. Um, it's just that people don't necessarily feel comfortable mm. in disclosing or sharing their yeah, disability that's a big thing beforehand how, how, yeah. how can people change that or should it be changed even well you know everyone's got different view on this if I had a non-visible disability mm. say I had a mental health condition yep. which may come up from time to time due to stress or, mm. or, or life events whatever would I necessarily share that in an interview probably not not to say that somebody else should do what I do yep. but I, I would because you think well I just think for me 
if it affects your performance at an interview, if you're not put on an equal playing field because you do not share something about your disability or health condition, hmm. then you're not putting yourself on you probably won't get the job. If it's distracting you to the point, I know someone who's got a hearing impairment, mm. he went without his hearing aids because he was so ashamed of it, this mm. is years ago, had the interview with three people and he couldn't follow what was going, because he just, and he, he didn't get the job. Yeah, I can... It's very personal, but you've got to think, would it prevent you from performing at your best? If so, perhaps to disclose it. And also, once you get in there, what do you do then about an adjustment then if you need it? And the, the trust has to be built by, they think, well, why didn't you tell us? And I understand why people keep this information because mm. you always think, well, is there somebody else who doesn't have that impairment or disability or health condition, whatever you want to call it? Mm. Would they choose them over me because they haven't given me the chance to get my foot in the door? Mm. It really depends and, on and the situation. Where does that... Uh, in Swiss, there's a lack of confidence, and and is that because law firms uh, or the legal profession generally should be doing more to to uh, satisfy people that they don't need to have that concern, mm. uh, or, or or does it have to come from within within the individual? It's I suppose it's that two balance, ways, really. Yeah. yeah, I mean, it could be a lack of confidence, a lack of getting to know someone first mm. before sharing information, not wanting to be prejudged before getting your foot in the door. Mm. Um, and also law firms, they can only respond to what information is presented to them. So I understand their mm. issues as well. I think if you make your website inclusive, mm. as in, not not that I agree with tokenism, you know, just stick a disabled yeah. person on your website. Yeah. But if you're, you know, if you're doing events about disability, if you're inviting people to come um, to the firm, maybe in advance to, to look around the offices, maybe there's someone who's visually impaired and they want to you know, scan the, look at the offices before an interview. You know, if you're having those sort of conversations and you're a culture where you allow difference mm. and you embrace that, you're not afraid of it. I think it just, it helps your people in your organization if they develop health conditions, which they will, because I'm going to slip in a statistic here, 86% of people who are disabled actually acquire their disability whilst of working age. It's so incredible. it's not about, oh, let disabled people come in and let's all be fair and inclusive. You already have people with health yep. conditions in there. So you've got to, you know, people are trying to recruit other people from outside, but mm. have a look at your, yourself first. Have a look at mm. your, what are, you, what are you actually doing inside the organization? And is that attractive for people to, for them to come to? Or do people even want to stay there? So it's, 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 it's lots of issues. Yeah. yeah. And, and I think it's still true to say that we don't necessarily see those disabled role models within law firms True. Um, partially because they might not be a visible mm. might not have a visible disability mm. but we just don't see them being necessarily celebrated mm. or, or reaching the sort of the higher echelons perhaps mm. is that something that can change I think it's something that will change yes I think it will because we're like everything you know you, you we've got role models and networks BAME networks black Asian minority mm. LGBT mm. Uh, women networks, disability networks are coming. Um, they're usually behind the curve with these yeah. things. But, you know, unfortunately, it's a, people think it's a club that no one wants to belong to. Yeah. As in, but if you stick around long enough, you will belong to one because <laughs> over time, we're an aging population. Our bodies and our minds and our senses change over time. We will, we come, we will all be impaired in some way. Some people are temporarily disabled through injury. Mm. Or, you know, so we, we all move into it at some point. Um, 
But yeah, I think role models are very, very powerful. I know KPMG is an example. They had a guy who um, said he had depression, mental health issues in the yeah. past, senior partner. Their network grew from zero to 606 months because wow. they were doing other things, obviously, in that space. But the fact that somebody said, you know, I've got to the top mm. and I'm not going to be ashamed of this. I'm going to share it and show vulnerability. That made people much more comfortable to say it's okay. That statement can go a hell of a long way. Yeah, and it so, puts uh, it puts an added responsibility on those people though to do that. It does. Um, yeah. But it, presumably, no regrets. Um, it's it's to, to their have that support choice. Yeah, that I mean, follows. Incredible. Some people don't want to be that role model. Personally, for me, I feel very strongly that if you've got to the top, and there have probably been barriers, you know, due to all sorts of protected characteristics. But don't pull the ladder up. You know, mm. maybe you're not doing it for you, but somebody who is going through that experience is looking at you, is observing, is watching your every move to see how you navigate this world with your impairment or, mm. you know, perhaps LGBT or... Ba they, they are watching you. And, you know, that expression, if you see it, you can be it. It does go a long way. So I think it's people really need to take that sense of responsibility on. This, this phrase around, this talk around how lawyers are frustrated actors, but you've really taken this performance book uh, <laughs> and gone to extremes. Now, has yeah. that come through because of your work, uh, doing the coaching, doing mm. the training? Um, you, you the, the list goes on, stand-up comedian, yeah. actress, mm. and, and uh, we should talk briefly about your husband. I think yes. um, uh, well, your mum was involved in, we'll give him a mention, <laughs> but a fellow actor. Yes, Tell us about this and yeah. how this came about. So, Luke is also a wheelchair user and um, I spotted it. Well, my mum is a massive fan of casualty and Luke was in casualty. And again, about role models, mm. I was fascinated when I was newly injured, still am, how people with disabilities are depicted on TV. Now, back mm. then, this is nine years ago, unfortunately, his character killed himself. Mm. So, you know, that's great. I thought, wow, life's going to be amazing, isn't it? And that really sent a message to me. And I, you know... So anyway, I saw him at Waterloo Station. I bumped into him and he was there. And uh, we just started chatting with friends for a long time. Then we mm -hmm. got together five years ago. Yeah, got married two years ago now. So Yeah, well, yeah. congratulations, so, belatedly. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but, but one of the things that you've done recently, again, mm. fascinating, was a TED Talk. Now, yeah. what was that experience like? Because there aren't many lawyers out there doing that. Yeah, oh, I loved it. And it was also terrifying as well. But I have, I felt... I don't like to moan and complain about mm. things. I thought I want to package a, a, di a message about disability, about what people can do and what my thoughts were around the subject so that we are getting away from this discomfort around disability and mm. actually how sometimes people say things fairly innocuously most of the time, but they don't realise the impact it has on people. Mm. Um, and I know this, I've got lots of friends who have got visible disabilities and this is a, a common experience, people saying things and it's a cumulative effect. I'll probably hear it for the rest of my life. But, you know, every day, five, six comments, it's mm. very wearing at times. And the hard thing is, is that I know people do it with the best of intentions. They, they, they're just unaware. It's one incident for them. For, but for me, I've, it's hundreds and thousands of incidents mm. on a daily basis. Well, yeah. I'd encourage people to see it, and I don't give any spoilers out, but mm. one of the first things you say when you when you come on to do the TED Talk mm. is, what do you see? Yeah. Um, do you see me or do you see the chair? Yeah. And people, I think, do see the chair. Yeah. And, I mean, and obviously they see the chair, 
but the, as you know there's a wider meaning behind it uh, as you don't define me by the chair as in my interactions and everything about me is, I mean ironically this is why I've set up my company is because of my experiences but mm. I'm saying it doesn't define me it's a huge part of who I am mm. but I'm interested in an awful lot of things too well I'll confess the first thing that I saw uh, when I was watching the TED talk was the guy before you with the uh, the, sh the swim shorts that change colour in the yeah, water yeah. <laughs> which I would also encourage people to watch but for different reasons but congratulations and uh, touching finally mm. on where does it go from here because I understand the stand-up career beckons. Uh, what's I've happening with that? Quite, yes, you prompted me to do something. So I've done it twice now, and um, I find humour. I mean, this I I do use humour a lot in my talks anyway, um, but humour really is a great way of breaking down barriers. And when you make people laugh, they're more receptive to your message. You know, there may be some uncomfortable laughter, but people rec kind of recognize, oh God, that's me, I mm. do that. But mm. it's really helpful to break the barriers down and to actually get some dialogue going. And also, I just find it's much more helpful than saying, you are wrong, you cannot do that, you cannot say that, because you can't silence people. Mm. You've got to have an en engaging conversation and humor is a great way of making it just that bit easier to, to aid that conversation. And, and you've got, you're also on a bit of a road show. You, you've got panels coming out of your ears, uh, keynote speeches, yeah, uh, conferences. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, how, how, things are going well, it seems. Mm. Um, uh, everything good? It's good. I'm enjoying the variety and I feel very lucky thinking, God, I, I can't believe that I'm doing this now for a job. Yeah. Um, but what I get a lot of satisfaction from is actually people saying, I've learned something. Um, I'm going to you know, perhaps change the language or, or think about the impact, mm. at least have a converse. It's opening up a dialogue and that's mm. what makes me happy. It's not just speaking for the sake of speaking, it's actually helping people make others feel included, but also having confidence around this issue of disability, which can be very awkward at times. But I think it's always an area we can all, language is evolving, the way we speak about mm. people is changing, behaviours yeah. are changing. There'll always be room for improvement. And I think as if we continue with the journey of always learning and always trying to empathise and understand other people's position, I think that will always be. So whether you're disabled or not, I think that's, you know, always an ongoing conversation to have in well, organisations. Yeah. An ongoing conversation, but unfortunately the end of ours. Yes. Uh, thank you so much for inviting us much. to your home and office. And, yes. <laughs> uh, and, and I look forward to seeing you again soon. Thank you very much. The Hearing. A legal podcast from Thomson Reuters. To find out more, go to tr.com forward slash the hearing or subscribe via iTunes, Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts.